Welcome everybody to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, joined again on this day by my partner in crime in the Punch Drunk Predictions, the man that still holds a, no, now holds a three-fight lead on me, because right, Curtis, don't... Because Curtis <laughs> did not come man. through, my man Patrick Shivik-Linsky. Patty, we're going to do another sort of quick hitter one here. Talk about UFC Fight Night Zagreb, UFC Croatia, UFC Rothwell versus Dos Santos. However you want to identify it, we're here to just kind of talk about some of the results and take a look at where some of these guys going forward. But before we get into that specifically, overall impressions for you on the event. Do you think it was a, a successful card? Do you think it was, you know, did it hold your attention? And what do you think of these Sunday morning events? Yeah, I like the Sunday morning uh, start time. It's nice. Like we were uh, saying in the podcast before, you get your coffee and a bagel in uh, while watching fights. I love that idea. Um, I'm not I'm not opposed to seeing more of these moving forward. If the UFC uh, especially has a lot of these European shows coming up where the time uh, difference is pretty significant. I definitely like uh, seeing a morning show. And I think as far as this show in Zagreb, I thought it was um, a good show overall. I mean, there were some entertaining fights on the prelims and on the main card. Um, you know, the uh, the heavyweights, I think, did a good job for the most part. I think a lot of times, you know, um, with heavyweights specifically, you're a little worried what you're going to get um, in terms of guys whose, you know, cardio uh, gets shot in the second round and they can't go on into those, you know, uh, later rounds past past two minutes of round two. So I think that overall, um, the main card was was quite good. And, and the fights with uh, Jan Blakovich uh, and Igor Prokryk was a really entertaining fight. So I think overall, um, you know, nice debut in Zagreb. And I, I hope it's a place that they come back to because it seemed like the uh, the crowd was into it. I mean, that, that's what I gathered from things. I mean, what did, what did you think? Yeah, watching the post-fight press conference, uh, UFC Emea had Jamie Elliott talking about sort of it's it's hard to not want to go back when you do over 13,000 in attendance for a debut and it sold out fairly quickly. <clears throat> I know it looked a little sparse to begin the show, um, but talking with some of the guys that were on the ground there, um, Simon Head from The Sun UK, he mentioned throughout the show that it continued to fill up and more and more people in and it became really, as we sort of saw and, and heard translated through the television, really vocal, really enthusiastic crowd as, you know, they introduced Miracle Crow Cop and then Pokryets gets in there and, and gets into a good old-fashioned slobber knocker with Jan Blakovic. So I think it's a place that they will definitely go. As we talked about on Friday, I'm a huge fan of these Sunday morning shows, but it's not even just that, like... I feel that we are very fortunate being out here on the West Coast. Um, there are myriad reasons why I won't move back to Ontario, including the fact that it's cold and shitty there right now. And it's been really nice here the last couple of days. But one of them is just that three-hour difference in terms of watching fights. And you see events that, you know, when they're finishing just after 10 here, that's 1 o'clock in the morning East Coast time. That becomes rough for pay-per-views starting at 10 p.m., um, I did a few when I was in, living in Newfoundland, and, and that's even worse because it's an extra hour and a half. But I've always said and always maintained the, the shows I like the most are shows like next weekend's Fox event 
where the prelims start at about 12.30 in the afternoon. You're done the full event, the whole six and a half, seven hours, by 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock by the time you get through the press conference. You've still got your evening. And even if you don't want to do anything, it's at least early enough that you're not like burning the midnight oil to get stuff done. And so they don't necessarily have to do these morning shows. I think they fit when they do go overseas. It's great to see FS1 not dictate sort of, no, we want this to be a Saturday night show. We're okay with it being a Sunday morning show. I think that's beneficial. I would love to see it more. Um, I would also love to see them just kind of bump that back, bump that main card start time back a couple hours like they do with these Fox events just to see. I know they tried it in the past, bumping the pay-per-view start time back an hour um, to mixed results and and mixed feedback, but it might be something that's worth investigating again because you saw a lot of people throughout the day today watching that event talking about how nice it was that, you know, even though we're sitting there watching fights for six, seven hours, it's still not so late in the day that your whole day is shot. You've still got sort of the entire afternoon here and sort of all of your evening on the East Coast to enjoy it. So hopefully we we see some more of these as they, as you said, as they continue to to hold events throughout Europe um, and some of those, you know, Australian shows that are at 7 in the morning or 9 in the morning for Australian fans. Maybe we move those to, to 9 o'clock at night and we're the ones doing the morning because it seems to work so far. But we'll find that out as we go. As we said, we wanted to touch on a couple of the key sort of fights and takeaways and and talking points from this event. None bigger than the main event itself. Junior Dos Santos with a unanimous decision victory over Big Ben Rothwell. Halting Big Ben's winning streak. Putting himself back into the conversation at heavyweight. And really the main thing, there were a couple main things for me. One is that Junior Dos Santos looked phenomenal. I thought he looked sharper and faster than he did absolutely against Alistair Overeem, but even than he did in his last several fights. Um, this was the best I think he's looked, maybe even since his first fight with, with Cain Velasquez or the fight against Frank Mir subsequent to that. Um, the hands were fast, the hands were crisp and clean, the footwork was great. The other thing is that this just, again, throws another kind of monkey wrench into the middle of the heavyweight picture because we thought we had it figured out. We thought Big Ben gets a fifth win. He moves forward. Junior looks like a guy that's on the slide. That all goes to pot now. Junior's back in the mix. He's such an interesting dude in terms of who he's beaten, but we'll get to that in a second. What were your thoughts on on his performance and just where he now is sort of situated going forward in the heavyweight division? Well, I agree with you. It was definitely one of Junior's most impressive performances as of late, um, for sure. I mean, uh, I, I do um, agree with that notion that it was probably his most impressive um, outing since that um, second uh, Kane fight um, that he had. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's interesting because he's kind of like a cat with nine lives now. <laughs> it seems like every time, you know, we count this guy out. Um, you know, he, he comes up and he does something and shows us why he's a former heavyweight champion. And this was one of those performances. I thought he came in there, Ben Rothwell, you know, a, a, a favorite, I'm not sure how much of a favorite he was because, you know, I, I, I do think that people still considered 
Junior Dos Santos a very dangerous guy. And I even said this coming into the predictions that this is a risky fight for Ben Rothwell. This isn't, you know, another guy on Ben Rothwell's resume. This is a former UFC heavyweight champion who knocked out Cain Velasquez at one point in his career, who's knocked out a guy like Mark Hunt, who's beaten Stipe Miocic. This is a huge, huge test for Ben Rothwell. And, um, you know, for for Junior Dos Santos to kind of have his back against the wall and know what's at stake and come up with a performance like he did in Zagreb, that to me was that sort of championship, you know, pedigree that we saw from him. A guy that's very much motivated and a guy who still has all that talent um, to compete, uh, you know, at the very pinnacle of this sport. So um, I thought, like you said, I mean, it was a fantastic performance, very technical boxing. Um, but, you know, once I, I found past that, you know, uh, the first round was, you know, uh, a little bit tentative on uh, on Junior's end. But once he sort of, you know, caught his flow in that in that second round and caught him with especially that big, uh, you know, kick at the end there that kind of sent Rothwell flying at the end of the second round. Um, you know, you could see that, that junior had found his groove and from there it was just, you know, um, just a beautiful display of striking and he, he really just did everything right. I mean, uh, Rothwell obviously looked a little bit, you know, he looked like the tentative one in this fight in a lot of ways. Um, wasn't pulling the trigger as much on that big shot that we've seen him, you know, do, and uh, Junior saw that, took advantage, and and kept moving around and and kept popping him with shots. Um, just a beautiful performance. I think that it's one that you know now kind of makes us all scratch our heads and be <laughs> like, you know, what the hell's next for this guy? So I'm curious to know, you know, <laughs> I mean, what what do you think is next for this dude? Yeah, in a division where guys never seemed, as you said, where where all of these cats have nine lives. I mean, we've seen it with Andre Arlovsky. We're seeing it presently with Alistair Overeem, who, of course, knocked out Junior Dos Santos in his previous fight. Here's JDS comes out and, and as you said, turns in a performance that reminds you of that championship pedigree that we all kind of thought, maybe maybe not we all, because there were, absolutely were people um, like my boy Mike Stetz picking, picking JDS and letting me know that he thought for sure Rothwell was going to get clobberized, as he did. So shout out to Stetz for getting that one right. Um, but this was a, this was a great performance and I wonder, and, and Patrick Wyman of Bleacher Report posed it during the event. And I think I embedded a couple of things of his from my post on, on keyboard Kimura this today, sort of recapping it, but kind of posed if this is maybe the start of chapter two for junior, where his first sort of chapter was as the aggressive guy that we know that won the title and and was clearly one of the most dominant heavyweights in the UFC. And if chapter two isn't maybe a shift from being the guy that comes forward and presses the action to being a guy that uses that footwork and uses that movement in that boxing to stay out of trouble and picket guys as he did against Ben Rothwell. If that is truly who Junior Dos Santos is becoming, I think he absolutely can have a second run at the heavyweight title. Um, this is, I mean, as you said, as you mentioned, and as we all know, he has a win over Stipe Miocic from, you know, not even two years ago now. He also has a win over Fabricio Verdum. So this is the only guy in the UFC that has beaten the two guys fighting for the heavyweight title next month. Um, but then it's complicated because he lost 
to Alistair Overeem, who of course Ben Rothwell beat and did a funky little dance after. So it becomes a weird little mix of situations. The thing that I liked and, and saw it right away on Twitter after the fact was Mark Hunt stepping up and putting up his hand and saying, Hey Dana White, hey Joe Silva, hey Sean Shelby. I'll take next. I'm I'm up for next. I got my win last month. He's already got a win over me, but it was a three-round fight. He beat me in the end, knocked me out. But, you know, maybe, maybe we do this again. I like that idea. I think that is the safest way to go um, in terms of both guys. Because kind of like this fight, I don't necessarily want to see them burn off a contender. They're, you know, if, if Kane beats... Travis Brown at UFC 200, there's no need to run back Junior and Kane again. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already seen Junior and Alistair over him, so if Alistair beats Andre Arlovsky, maybe if Arlovsky gets a victory there, you do Arlovsky and Dos Santos. But I really like the idea of a, of a rematch with Mark Hunt. I think it makes one of them, whoever wins that potential fight, becomes kind of that next guy in line, maybe one more step away. But that's a fight, I, I mean, listen, Good heavyweight fights, I'm willing to watch anytime. That feels like it would be a great heavyweight fight. And I would love to see if Junior can duplicate this performance against a guy with crazy power like Mark Hunt. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, um, that performance that Mark Hunt had, you know, recently was was very strong and um it would be it would be pretty fun to just see those guys back in the octagon together the first fight was crazy um you know and and how it kind of ended with the spinning hook kick uh that jds landed you know that was that was insane and i think it's one that mark hunt would like to have back so i'm not mad at a mark hunt you know jds too um at the same time you know if like you were saying if um arlovsky were to get that win over Overeem um, uh, when they fight in Rotterdam, I believe it's Rotterdam yeah, or Amsterdam. Yeah, Rotterdam. Yeah, I get my I get my dams mixed up sometimes, but um, yeah. So that fight, I think that if uh, um, you know if Arlovsky comes out with a with a win over Alistair Overeem, you know that could be an interesting matchup because it's a matchup that we haven't seen before as well um, for Dos Santos. But I think. As you were saying, I think the safe uh, route to go and the, I think the most intriguing route for, for, you know, from a fan perspective, from an entertainment perspective, I think you go with the Mark Hunt rematch. I think, you know, Mark Hunt um, has, you know, done enough for this sport and, and the UFC to merit, you know, a rematch against, you know, a junior Dos Santos. So I, I'm not mad at that matchup. I think they should they should run that one back if the opportunity comes up. Well, and we know they'll be going back to Australia or New Zealand at some point this year. Um, Mark Hunt has obviously been a, a headlining act over there a number of times. Junior just headlining here on this card in Zagreb, Croatia. Seems like a reasonable main event for a fight night event over there, but we will see. That's what Joe Silva and Sean Shelby get paid the big bucks for. Briefly before we move on to the co-main event, we were talking about it before we hit record. I don't think this loss necessarily does a lot of damage to Ben Rothwell's stock. Um, four straight wins coming into this, including the victory over Overeem, including back-to-back finishes of Matt Mitrione, who has since moved on to Bellator, and becoming the first guy to submit Josh Barnett in the octagon. I think anybody in that sort of top six, seven, eight, maybe in that heavyweight division 
If you lose to another guy in that mix, it's not really the biggest deal. It, it stunts your progress towards the top, but I don't think it, it drops you down too far. It's very much about Styles make fights as sort of this troika of, of Alistair Overeem Jr. Dos Santos and Ben Rothwell really exhibits. And so I think he's just a guy that, you know, you, you move him back into the deck, you reshuffle him into that collection of guys. Whoever loses one of these next fights, whether it's Travis Brown, whether it's Andre Arlovsky, makes a pretty fitting matchup for Big Ben going forward. Yeah, I agree with that. I think this this fight, as you said, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't change a whole lot with Ben Rothwell standing in that, you know, upper echelon of the division, especially, you know, you know, as we were saying, all, all sort of the interconnectedness of everybody um, in that, you know, top sort of seven, eight range there. Um, it was, yeah, it was just a roll of the dice, I think, for Ben Rothwell. And um, I think he he understood that he was taking a big risk against Junior DeSantos. But, you know, he wanted to, you know, prove himself against a former champion. It didn't work out in his favor, you know. Um, he didn't get finished. He showed a lot of toughness, a lot of heart. I mean, most guys, after taking that many shots from JDS, they would have been laying on the ground, to be honest. So I think Ben Rothwell certainly showed, you know, his toughness. But, you know, you have to credit Junior for coming in and just picking him apart um, with with beautiful striking throughout, you know, the majority of that fight. So as of now, like you said, I think, uh, the loser of one of those fights, the Kane, um, the uh, the Kane Brown fight, or the Arlovsky Overeem fight, you know, makes a lot of sense for Rothwell moving forward. And I think that, you know, I, you know, I got to give some kudos to to Rothwell as well, just just for even taking this fight because I thought, you know, coming into it, it it was a head scratcher for me why he wanted to even take this fight with Junior Dos Santos. And when I spoke to him for the story that I had up on the province today, uh, which was Sunday, um, if you, if you guys didn't read it, you can catch it online. (laughs) But, um, you know, he said that he knew that he had to stay active and remain sort of on everybody's mind, which he has certainly done. And he's certainly still in the conversation. So I think even in a loss, I think this still, puts Ben Rothwell in a position where people are talking about him and he's in that heavyweight contender mix. Yeah, absolutely. And and it was a great piece and and people should definitely check it out. Uh, theprovince.com slash sports. Um, look it up. I believe it's called Ben Rothwell, the most interesting man in the UFC. These guys are in the upper tier of that heavyweight division in that title conversation. In the co-main event, I think we saw Derek Lewis break into the top 15 the Beast going out and picking up a first-round stoppage win over Gabriel Gonzaga. I will openly admit to being a Derek Lewis fan. I've had the opportunity to interview him a few times, speak to him in person a few times. Easy dude to root for when you know sort of the trajectory of his life, what he's gone through, the changes he's made to become a role model in his community and somebody that you know, three kids look up to and he, and he's providing for them as well as, you know, being being somebody in, in the Houston community that people point to of, of overcoming situations that a lot of people have been through having been to prison for three and a half years. This was a performance for me that I think we saw, again, just some more of those small developments, some of those small improvements that you want to see from a fighter every time out, um, survived 
sort of getting taken down, being on the ground, having Gabe Gonzaga move to mount, take his back. Um, whether you want to say that's Gonzaga not really being in the best position and maybe being a little overzealous with his attack or Derek surviving, he didn't do a ton to get out of it, but he did muscle up and get to his feet and, and sort of make Gonzaga get off his back, which we've seen a lot of guys not able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I was in Houston when Derek Lewis spent two, two rounds on the ground against Victor Pesta. So to change, to come that far from six months ago to me is, is progress. And then, you know, when they get on the feet and they get separated, you see why Derek Lewis is, is such a scary proposition in this division. My question to you, not so much, you know, is Derek Lewis a contender, but, but how far do you think he can go in this division? Because I think we both agree that he's not a contender yet. This isn't a guy that needs to get thrown in there with a junior Dos Santos next. He's still got some room between himself and that upper tier, but how far do you think he can go? And in a division full of guys with, with big power, does Derek Lewis have the kind of power that it can really be a difference maker in some of those fights, maybe along the lines of a guy like Mark Hunt? Yeah, I think he certainly has that kind of rare power that, um, you know, a lot of us talk about. Um, he, he has that ability to sort of change guys' face from, okay, you know, <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is going well. And then you get hit and then it's like, Oh no, <laughs> I don't, I don't like this at all. So he is, I think one of those guys that has that scary power in his hands and, and can shift fights with just one shot. Um, it's interesting with, with Derek Lewis, because as you said, he's made, you know, a lot of those small improvements. And to me personally, I think the most impressive part of that fight was when Gabriel Gonzaga was on his back. And that he was able to sort of muscle his way out of that because, you know, as we know, Gabriel Gonzaga is a really legit, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and a guy who's, you know, once he gets guys in that position, he finishes fights a lot of times. And, you know, uh, Gonzaga has, you know, a, a bunch of MMA mileage on his tank, but at the same time, he was in a perfect position to to probably get that finish and for Derek Lewis to muscle out of that, get back to his feet, then piece him up on the feet. That to me, you know, showed significant improvements and that this guy can definitely be a top 10 guy uh, by the end of the year. And I think that he's he's one of those guys who with the right, you know, training and the right, you know, sort of uh, sharpening of his techniques, he can go really far. I think he could be in that top five conversation. I don't know how he does against, you know, a guy like, you know, um, a Fabricio Verdum or a Cain Velasquez, um, you know, those top, top tier guys at this point in his career. But I think the the really awesome part about Derek Lewis is that you can see the development in his game. You can see him, as you were saying, sharpen up his, you know, skills and um, put, you know, these these things into practice in the octagon. So you're seeing the evolution of Derek Lewis in the octagon every time he comes out. And that's an exciting thing. And it's also a scary thing for a lot of these <laughs> other heavyweights that if he gets better with his techniques, if he sharpens up the areas where he's not, you know, quite as strong at, uh, he's going to be a scary, scary dude in that division. Yeah, I think if you had told me on Friday when we were sort of breaking these down that early in the first round, Gabriel Gonzaga was going to take Derek Lewis down, advance to full back mount with hooks in, I would have reacted the same way a lot of people on social media did with the, 
oh, this doesn't look good. Oh, now he's in trouble. <laughs> What's he going to do? But but he did a good job to stay calm, you know, tuck his chin, fight the hands, get himself back up. Got to give a, a, a shout out to the referee. I think it was Leon Roberts that, that was in charge of that fight, splitting them up a couple of times along the fence. That's another area where I think Derek has room to improve in terms of getting his back off the fence and not relying on the referee to split them up because he is a great, big, powerful dude. Um, but then, as we said and as we've talked about, he just puts those hands on you. And that, that first one was even really just kind of a glancing blow. It didn't land completely clean. And as you said, it changes up the way a guy's feeling and the way a guy's looking. Gabriel Gonzaga just tucked and knew that something else funky was coming behind it. And sure enough, it caught him on the button and he was out before he hit the canvas. That kind of power to me, and and I touched on this on Keyboard Kimura in the About Last Night piece that's up, that kind of power is just different. Like We talk about fight-changing power all the time. I think Derek Lewis is on a different level in that regard. Maybe not quite the Mark Hunt walk-off power, but a little bit more than some of these other heavyweights that we've seen um, in that he just, like, Gabe Gonzaga was out before he hit the mat. That's not something, like, Shane Carwin did that to Gabe Gonzaga, (laughs) and I don't think there were a lot of people that were lining up to take shots from Shane Carwin. That being said... Our boy Jeremy Botter, formerly of Bleach Report, now congratulations, Bot, running the show at uh, Flow Sports down in Austin, Texas, has told me in the past, we talked about it in February, 10 grand, he will let Derek Lewis just touch him on the chin and put him out. So I might have to start a Kickstarter campaign, <laughs> talk to the people at South by Southwest, see if I can get that as like an, an exhibition next year, get myself an excuse to go down to ATX, but... Derek Lewis, I agree with you, a guy that, I mean, he should by Monday break into the top 15, or sorry, probably by Tuesday, they give them 36 hours to update their rankings. Not that the UFC rankings are great, but I think he does establish himself here as a top 10 guy, as a top 15 guy. The thing I like, the other thing I like about Derek Lewis is that he understands sort of that progression and and what's next. He mentioned in his post-fight interview, Roy Nelson, talk backstage about it that that's yep absolutely that's the guy I want Roy already talked about it on Twitter so that congrats that's my next opponent I think that's the right step get in there with another veteran another dude that's going to be willing to exchange with you another big name that people recognize and you get a win there and next thing you know you're knocking on the door of the top 10 and and from there as we've seen throughout this division throughout the history of this division one big shot changes things. And, and for all the stuff that we think we know, guys prove us wrong all the time. So could be a very entertaining and very interesting year for Derek Lewis. I don't know if top five by the end of the year is possible, but definitely top 10. Definitely a guy for people to continue to look out for. And I, I, I'd just like to point out in that post-fight show that they did on Fox Sports 1, I love how he was talking about Gabriel Gonzaga. I don't know what he was saying, but he was saying something about Gabriel Gonzaga being the equivalent of like a 1970s porn star on top of him uh, with his chest hair. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. And uh, he, he's got a sense of humor, that guy. <laughs> Derek Lewis is a hilarious dude telling a friend of the show, John Gooden, he needed to go take a shower because he had a hairy, hairy... 1970s porn star on top of him and the smell that John Gooden could smell was not him. It was Gonzaga. 
and then threw a little fist pound and, and got out of there. Derek Lewis, absolutely hilarious dude. If you're not following him on Twitter and Instagram, you're not doing Twitter and Instagram correctly. Uh, they are both very, very much worthwhile follows. Speaking of guys that are prospects and guys to watch out for in this division, touch on them real quickly here. I think Francis Ngannou had a brilliant performance. Another guy that took kind of big strides in between his UFC debut and his second fight. Openly admit to getting this wrong. I thought that Curtis Blades would come in and wrestle him to the ground. The former Juco national champion would get in there and put the relatively inexperienced Frenchman, sorry, Cameroonian by way of France, um, prospect on the ground. Did not happen at all. I think he got him down once, but we saw great improvement, great strides made in the takedown defense from Nganu and just a guy that really looks like he gets it. Like you can't, it's hard to quantify fight IQ when you're watching a fight and, and tell people what you mean. But watching that guy fight today, I honestly sat there and was like, this dude just gets it. Like really seems to measure his shots. Well, there were a few that, you know, he's throwing bombs trying to get the guy out of there, but that happens with heavyweights seems to have made great strides in those between those first and second fights in the UFC. And as we said with Derek Lewis, that's a scary proposition because he's now 2-0 and and continues to look better. I know you were impressed with Francis Ngannou because he got you a win in the predictions. <laughs> but what were your takeaways of his performance today? Oh, I'm, I was definitely as impressed as you are, you know, by his performance. He, he came out there with, you know, um, some question marks about, you know, what, what is this guy really all about? Um, what, what can he, you know, really do against a guy who's going to try to take him down as well? Um, and he certainly showed, I mean, that takedown defense was awesome. Uh, he definitely did everything right in that fight and showed, you know, like you were saying, it's hard to quantify fight IQ, but if there was any good display of fight IQ that I could see in a fight and visually see that it was that fight because, you know, uh, he was he was throwing nice combinations together, looking very loose and very, you know, elusive. I mean, a guy of his size to sort of move around the way he did and throw nice kicks like he did. And he wasn't even unloading a lot of kicks in that fight, but the ones that he did landed nicely. And, uh, you know, all the all the, you know, uh, shots he was throwing, you know, were were, you know, uh, they meant to hit with intent. And that, I think, was one of the things that really, you know, made me very impressed with that performance is all his shots and his timing on his shots, very calculated. And he looked like he got it. He looked very comfortable in there. And he looked like someone who, you know, is certainly going to be a guy in this division moving forward that we're going to be, you know, looking at as a potential contender moving forward. I think he's that good. And this is a guy who only went pro in November, 2013, <laughs> I believe. So, I mean, he's just learning in the UFC. He only had a handful of fights outside of the UFC. He's growing up in the octagon as we speak. And I mean, he's already shown such an improvement from his first fight to his second UFC fight that it makes me so excited to see <laughs> what's you know down the line for this guy well and it's nice to see a sub 30 heavyweight with legitimate upside that you can look at and think okay this is a guy that i can see him developing into something um as you said 
relatively inexperienced. I believe this was his eighth fight, now moves to seven and one. I always feel a little bad when I say what I'm about to say, and I don't mean it disrespectfully to the people that guys work with, but if ever there was another case of a guy that, you know, could really probably benefit from moving to work with a bigger camp, and Ganu is a shining example to me, um, you're going to be limited when you're in France, a, a country that only recently made pro MMA legal. Um, there aren't a lot of huge camps over there. There's not a lot of kind of really established prolific camps over there. To me, even if it's, you know, you grab your coach and you, the pair of you go over and, and John Gooden and I talked about this in regards to, or sorry, some, I forget who it was that I was talking to about. And I think it might've been John about, um, Jake Matthews and his dad go back over and work at Jackson's again. Um, and just, continue to gain that experience of being around elite competitors, guys that have been through the fires, coaches that have led guys to championships in the past. I mean, I think about, you know, if if he's in there and he's in that room for two or three months at Jackson's, if he's in that room at ATT for two or three months, the amount of growth and development that a guy of his obvious skill and upside could have would just be staggering to me. Even as it is, I think, as you said, a guy with elite potential, um, the benefit of the, the heavyweight division being the state it's in right now, where it seems pretty, pretty flush with talent for the first time in a while. Absolutely no need to rush him. Continue to bring him along sort of on that Derek Lewis path. I like the way that Derek Lewis has been brought along. The Mitrione fight may have been a little bit quick, um, but sometimes you just got to test these guys. And I think if he gets that steady progression, couple years from now, he's a top 10 fighter and, and maybe more depending on where he gets to and the, the continued development we see. But, but as far as sophomore efforts go and as far as encores go, that was really impressive. It was a great performance and, and a, definitely a heavyweight to keep an eye on. Before we get out of here, just want to touch on a couple other guys. We don't want to go through the whole card. We want to keep this, you know, kind of under that 45 minutes kind of area, but just touch on one more guy. I know we talked as we were prepping for this. You were impressed with Marbek Tysimov. <laughs> Was I ever? That dude, is, that dude is scary. I mean, um, this is his second performance of the night in a row. Um, came in there and just blasted uh, Hadzovic, um, you know, in that in that first round, lit him up and, and finished the fight in, you know, relatively quick fashion. I was certainly impressed by Marbek Tysimov. He's one of those guys that, you know, comes from that uh, sort of Russian kind of uh, Chechny region there and, you know, just tough as they come. I think that this was a fight, you know, that was against, you know, a, a Croatian local guy. Um, you could have easily put Tysimov in there against, you know, a, a UFC vet. I think he would have been ready for that fight. Um, and this fight, you know, just reemphasize that. I mean, give this guy someone who is, you know, a a notice, you know, a, a known name in the UFC. I think he's ready for that. He's uh, five and one inside the octagon now, coming off his second performance of the night. As I said, he's ready for a big step up in competition. I mean, who that is, you know, take your pick in the lightweight division, right? There's so many guys in that division who he could fight. Um, I'm not sure 
of a specific name that comes to mind. Maybe you can help me out. But, um, you know, I just thought the performance itself was very impressive. And I think he's one of those guys that we're certainly going to be talking about in that 155-pound division. As impressive as the knockout was, as impressive as the uppercut was that, that collapsed Demir Hadzovic into himself to finish that <laughs> fight, I was more impressed with the walk-off interview uh, stepping up there and, and just kind of commanding the mic and saying, UFC, Dana White, Sean Shelby, how many more guys do I need to knock out before you listen and give me a top 10 fighter? Um, Marbuk Tysimov represented by my friend Danny Rube. So shout out to Team Rube. I'm pretty sure Danny probably told him to get in there and, and make sure he made the most of his time on the mic. As far as guys, I, I'm with you. I think a top 15 guy is is absolutely in order. Put him in there with, with an ally at Quinta when Rage and Al gets ready to go. Um, maybe the winner of the upcoming Benil Dariush Mike Chiesa fight would work. Uh, somebody in that range. I mean, there's so many options at lightweight. That's one of the really great things is that there's a bunch of guys even sort of outside of that top 15 that are all in that mix and real close. There's no shortage of options and, and, no shortage of people that are going to be interested in seeing the return of Merbek Tysimov when he gets the chance. My guy that I just want to give a shout out to is Lucas Martins. And, and as we said before we, we hit record, a guy that feels like he's been around forever. John Anik mentioned on the broadcast, one of very few fighters to get a win in three different weight classes. Seems to have filled out, seems to have found his home fighting now in the featherweight division gets a split decision win over, over Rob Whiteford. I didn't even necessarily think it was a split decision. I thought Martins looked better the whole way through. Uh, very good striking. His Achilles heel is always going to be his wrestling as we saw in his previous two fights before this losses to Darren Elkins and the man Mirsad Bektik, who I can't wait to see him get back in action, heal up, get back soon. Um, but Martins is a guy that I just think all these divisions, you have to have that, middle of the pack sort of 15 through 25 guy that is instant entertainment always reliable as a good fun fight that you want to see and for me martins is becoming one of those dudes always happy to get in there and just kind of wing hooks throw heavy kicks get into a good old-fashioned scrap i thought this was a very good performance i think at 27 years old as i said starting to fill out starting to find that form that he needs physically to maybe move forward and, and start stacking up some wins if he can avoid a couple of these wrestlers. I mean, listen, Mirsad Bektik isn't ranked right now. He's probably the best prospect in the UFC. Darren Elkins, as we saw from his last performance, one of the toughest outs, one of the most underrated dudes in that division. So those losses aren't anything too, too bad. And either way, Mir Lucas Martins becomes a guy that just perennially entertaining in that 145 pound division. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, at 27 years old, he's, you know, still one of these guys who has some things that he can sharpen up on some things that he can learn. And like you were saying, I mean, Elkins and Bectic, those are two very tough guys. Um, and the Elkins fight was, was quite close split decision loss for uh, Martins. I think, you know, he's one of those guys coming out of that shoot box camp there that, you know, has that, awesome striking style that is very entertaining and and that Muay Thai looks, you know, super clean and, and just super, you know, fierce and, and precise. It's, he's one of those guys that, you know, you pay a full admission to see, <laughs> I think. And, and he, 
is one of those guys who I think that's, you know, going to get better. And I'm glad that he's found his sort of, you know, groove in that uh, 145-pound division. I think it's the right fit for him. As we know, you know, he came into the UFC um, and fought Edson Barboza, which, uh, holy crap, is that the scariest thing? You know, I mean, getting thrown Edson Barboza in your first UFC fight is a nightmare onto its own. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm excited. Excited to see what we get from Martins moving forward, and I think he's going to be one of these guys we've got to look out for. Yeah, shoe the box is having a resurgence with with Thomas Almeida leading leading the way, uh, Felipe Aranches in there as well, and Lucas Martins. So definitely a group to continue to keep your eye on going forward. But for now, that's going to do it for our sort of look back and sort of analysis of where some of these guys go coming out of Zagreb, Croatia. Of course, we've got another event coming up on Saturday, UFC on Fox, Teixeira versus Evans. Unfortunately, Tony Ferguson getting getting hurt, getting pulled from the fight. Um, Habib Nurmagomedov, his original opponent, stays on the card in a catchweight bout against newcomer Daryl Horcher. We will touch on that later in the week. We'll be back with another one of our sort of quick hitter preview shows later on this week. But through the week, it's going to be my boy Patty running the show. I am getting away. My first trip up to Whistler, getting away with with Mrs. Kite for a little early anniversary getaway before I dip out and go to Vegas. Second year in a row that I am on the road for our actual anniversary. So I love you, honey. Thank you for letting me continue to chase this dream and, and not be in the country or not be in town for our for our anniversary. Uh, but Patty will be running things over at Keyboard Kimura throughout the week, dropping the usual fight week previews, um, and also have some pieces with, with some of the guys on this card coming up, correct? Absolutely, yeah. So in addition to, to some prospect watch we got coming up and five reasons to watch, you know, uh, the same good stuff you can expect from us at Keyboard Kimura. Got a piece on Rashad Evans coming up. Um, you can expect that uh, later in the week. Um, you know, we talked about his upcoming fight against Glover Teixeira, the headlining fight. So uh, stay tuned for keyboard, you know, Kimura magic. We're, we're you know, pumping it out um, and it's going to be fun. And uh, you got me running the show, so don't be too hard on me, <laughs> uh, fans out there. I mean, if, if, if it's not Spencer grade A material, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be that B grade stuff so <laughs> it'll it'll be good you'll do great i appreciate you you pinch hitting for me for a couple of days it has been great getting to getting to watch fights again for the first time in three weeks it will be great getting back later in the week and talking about the event in tampa florida on big fox as dana white likes to call it but for now we're gonna dip we're gonna roll out i want to say thank you pat for joining me as always Everybody listening, we appreciate it. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us all on Twitter. All of that stuff is is in the posts when these go up on Keyboard Kimura. Thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you again later in the week. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com. Follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboardkimura.